D despite the running, despite the running prowess of the future Fuhr, um, the coup collapses. But the players are all given amnesty. <laughs> I want that to be. That's going to be the title of the episode. Of the episode, right there. Let me write that down. The running prowess of the future. Fuhr. Despite the running prowess of the future Fuhr, the coup collapses. Got it. Go. Today on the Trilateral Troika, we're going to be discussing the end of Imperial Germany and, and sort of like what paved the road to the Nazis coming into power in Germany. Because um, it's sort of a, a complex thing, like different things happen. Would you just but... pop open there, Chief? <laughs> exactly what I'm going to need for a discussion about Nazis. <laughs> Could you so... try not to open your diet chest orange while Steve's talking? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ That was the no. loudest Dude, I could gaffer that effect And make millions Your, your Pomple he... LaCroix can wait I'll tell you what led I'll tell you what led to the fucking Nazis, dude Diet Shasta Orange I thought you said that I had a Yeti blue mic And I could be outside, so of course I got damn Right, exactly, that's true I'm gonna pick up anything I'm pretty sure I heard a mouse fart a minute ago I was across my room when I opened that. But that's, <laughs> I was that's outside at, at the store. <laughs> that's why Hitler became an anti-Semite, because he was in the trenches, and this one this one Jewish officer, he just kept on opening his, his shastas <laughs> loudly. Zayda Nusen Shasta! Is that why Fanta supported the Nazis to give her Shasta? I think, actually, actually, that's an interesting story. I'm going to let Steve go with it. The, I don't have the story of... The story of Fanta is that um, Fanta is made by, or was made by, the the German subsidiary of Coca-Cola. And mm. when the war started, and war was like declared between the United States and, and Germany, um, the, the German Coca-Cola subsidiary was nationalized by the, by the Nazi government. And mm. they ran out of the materials to make Coke. So they made Fanta as like a it's like sort of an alternative and then because they because it because like the original recipe for fanta was made with something to do with like like fruit concentrate and like something else uh -huh. but at the end of the war um all the all the industries that have been nationalized that belong to like foreign companies were given back to them and so the the allies just you know gave coke back the the german subsidiary and everything with it so they got fanta out of the mix <laughs> That's crazy. Wait, who got Fanta? The Allies? Or Coke. Coke got because Fanta. It, because it was nationalized by the Nazis. Is, um, is Fanta a Coke product? Yeah. <sighs> it's like Coke and Pepsi own like everything as far as soft drinks. Yeah, there's that there's that chart that basically just shows that like five companies own every single thing in like yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you there, Steve, because I'm just gonna let you know that capitalism creates an environment where competition can happen and okay through competition we get sort of new products new techniques you know if we lived in some sort of system where one you know group or one sort of organization you know just controlled everything right. we wouldn't we wouldn't be living in the the utopia we live in today where we have so many choices and so many good products but steve what are we talking about today yeah what, what the hell is your point anyway what about what is this about nazis so the, the the lesson today will be about 
um, sort of how the imperial government of Germany collapsed at the end of World War One, and and sort of the events that transpired in like the two year period between sort of the armistice or right before the armistice, and then the the formation of Weimar Germany and ended up you know causing a, a political environment that allowed the Nazis to come into power. Mm. And this is this is not something a lot of people know about because when they say you know in history class you know the armistice was signed and the Treaty of Versailles is made, you know it just paints it like you know Germany is like in a static, static state. You know they just move the government to Weimar, you right. know every everything's mm-hmm. fine. But in reality, like like Germany almost um, probably probably not, but was very close you know to having like becoming a, a communist country. Right, right, and they did. Once For, the Nazis I mean, got their ass beat. <laughs> well, when the the government of East Germany was installed, um, which is which is kind of funny. I'll, I'll mention when we talk to so, talk about some of the people figures in this, um, because they're kind of lionized and and used as like propaganda pieces for the government of East Germany. Right. Um, one of them, Karl Liebknecht, um, he's kind of considered like sort of like a Lenin-like figure by the East German government. Um, but in reality, he was very like lukewarm on things. Is a leapnik? Is that is that like a beatnik who can jump? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> hashtag hashtag dad jokes. Oh my god! I just hashtagged myself, Steve. That's the end of the podcast. Wrap it up. <laughs> All right, and we enjoy y'all coming today and listening. A lot of what what happens um, involves. Um, the the Social Democratic Party of Germany because before um, World War One the Social Democrats were the the lead party in Germany which was sort of the the Socialist Party okay um, they they were sort of a big tent um, and so there was always a conflict they were the Bernie Bros factions. of nineteen thirties yeah they, a little sort bit of different the, right isn't it a little they're, bit they're different? sort of like the Democratic Party of of Germany in that regard but a more like socialist and left-leaning one because mm. they are based on sort of the philosophy of Marx. This right. is before, you know, communism even exists as a term. Okay. Um, Marx had coined sort of the, the term of, of communist d- during like the, uh, the revolutions of 1848 and the, the Paris Commune. Um, he referred to them as communards. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a, a candy that would be available when they get rid of capitalism and all that's left is one candy, communards. Where's the candy you get? Communards. Yeah. <laughs> I had <laughs> some communards this morning. It's been a good day. The leaders of this um, of these sort of factions um, come up later on. One of them is this woman named Rosa Luxemburg, who is she was born in what is today Poland, and she's Jewish. Um, she was kind of a uh, she's kind of a hunchback. I've heard um, I was gonna say that Rosa Luxemburg kind of sounds like one of uh, one of Michael Vick's like throwaway names. Oh my God, <laughs> sounds like one of Anthony Weiner's throwaway text names. <laughs> there are That's there are due to her name. like role in in what's to transpire. There are a lot of statues of her, and they sort of like have her really? standing like upright. But in reality, she was sort of uh, hunched over. So she had what's called kyphosis or lordosis of the upper spine. Ah, oh, 
Look at this smarty pants. Check out the big brain on Steve. I got big. I got neck problems, brother. Another one. Another one of the leaders is this guy named I mentioned earlier, um, Carl Liebknecht. He is. Um, he's the son of William Liebknecht, who's one of the founders of the SPD, the the Social Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, um, them and this guy named Hugo Haas. Um, they they oppose. Germany entering into World War One. Um, when war is declared, most the Social Democratic Party they jump behind the government and they go very hard into the supporting the government. It Germany mostly Germany mostly entered World War One because they were allied with Austria and they felt that they needed to like sort of assert themselves on the world stage and it was believed by some people that by settling scores with Great Britain So this and is kind of like the first guy um, the guy's first day of, in prison um, where it's like, I feel intimidated I'm going to go stage. beat the shit out of somebody bigger and I'm going to validate my existence here <laughs> <laughs> You're going to eat your cornbread but at the same time, it's a, it's a lot losing the foresight of, hey you know, we go beat this other country up everybody else is going to be like, hey, stop being an asshole and dogpile us like they co- they totally forget that. It's it's also another thing too of at that time there was this belief among people because there hadn't been a big war in a while, and people felt that <laughs> the lack of war was making was like making men you know mm-hmm. like feminine and that. Sounds it, about time for time a war, gentlemen. They, These men out there honor. dancing around in the hoot nannies. There are also. There are also a lot of sort of a, a trend in Germany that because of the the prevalence of the military in German society, that there was a felt that there was a need one to use the military. Right. And there was also hopes that the Kaiser would become this sort of autocratic military leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the The Kaiser though is not very not very competent. Um, he's actually he's actually somewhat deformed. Okay. You can't you can't see it in a lot of the pictures because they hide it well. He normally keeps the arm on his sword, but one of his one of his arms is sort of gimpy, like it's shorter than the other arm. And like the dude from a uh, scary movie. Kind of. Yeah. He has a strong, <laughs> exactly strong the same. arm. <laughs> Grab a strong hand. <laughs> but he does his best to hide it. Like, cause he, I mean, he is he's a, self-conscious. he's a descendant of Queen Victoria. Um, so he suffers from all the issues that descendants of Queen Victoria have, which is lots of like birth defects from all the inbreeding, from all the political marriages. Right. He doesn't pan out, which I, I don't really go into here, but that's like one of the reasons why, like the sort of the idea of a Fuhrer becomes popular in in sort of like far right circles in Germany, because originally they wanted to be the Kaiser, but because the Kaiser fails so so dramatically, that they they decide that it has to be a sort of like military leader. Right. And does what does Fuhrer actually translate to? It, it's like leader or or sort of strongman, kind of like um, El Duce or or like okay. Cadio. It, it just okay. means sort of like the leader. So now they had an idea of having a Führer um, working alongside the chancellor that they've already had? Because I know that Germany had a chancellor as well. Well, the idea would be that once 
the military or whatever took over, they would do away with democracy. The chancellor is a democratic position. So okay. so they would the the idea is is they do what what Hitler eventually does. He he eventually yeah, where he like, elevates from chancellor to Fuhrer. Yeah. He he pretty much combines both executive offices and the German government and becomes a dictator. Gotcha, yeah. Alright, okay. Um, Emphasis guy, on Dick. <laughs> the one guy named hey, Hugo Haas um, that I mentioned earlier, he is not as radical as as Rosa Luxemburg and Karl Liebknecht. Who he, uh, but listen, um, I am gonna say, gonna go back a couple seconds here. Um, Hitler did one good thing. He killed Hitler. It is true. So I have to give him credit. You know what I mean? That's the one piece of credit I will give Hitler is he killed Hitler. Are you are you preparing for when you go on Rogan eventually? <laughs> oh God, no! <laughs> We're not starting no. that shit again. No. <laughs> no. Although I will no. say that I'm currently in rehab now for my Klonopin. <laughs> Joe Rogan, let me tell you about the nineties. I have an antidote to chaos. It's called Clonazepam. <laughs> I tell it turns out that if you have social problems you can just take anti-anxiety medication in high doses. Oh, yeah. Go figure that. I know, right? Back to the the Social Democratic Party radicals. Rosa Luxemburg and Karl Liebknecht are kind of um contemporaries of of Lenin. Um they're in correspondence with Lenin. Lenin at this time is living in exile. Um, and then when they are eventually expelled from the party, they go into exiles too, as does Hugo Haas. Um, Hugo Haas is not as radical as them, but he's still a, a diehard socialist. Okay. So, um, and I actually just learned this tonight. When they send somebody into exile, right, it's not like we're thinking where they kind of like kick you out of the walls and just tell you to go, you're dead. What they do is they send you somewhere, um, specifically if you were Russian, they would send you to like just some land in Siberia, you know. And this is your new home, some little tiny podunk ass town. But they would actually pay you monthly to live and be given enough, or to be able to buy enough food to eat. Hmm. So while we have the idea of exile, meaning that oh man, that sucks, y- you are somewhat being taken care of by the state. It's more or less like here's some money, get the fuck out of Te- here because you're not welcome. Technically, that's not like exile. It, it's it's more of a banishment because to be exiled, you have to be sort of removed from the country. Because in, in the I mean, sense I feel of like, like Siberia is a totally different country than anywhere else, but but no, well, he's like, talking Siberia about the is still process. Part of the, is still a yeah, part yeah, of yeah. the Russian Empire, and it's sort of similar to the British, um, the British sort of punishment called transportation. Transportation was where they would send people to Australia, and it was mostly because the prisons were filling up and nobody lived in Australia, and they wanted to increase their claim on it. So the idea is is that you send like bodies and people out there who can do something there like they can work a job or they can bring something and then eventually either they're there forever or they get to come back and when they come back you know they've already contributed to making that place livable that's interesting i gotta i gotta re-listen to it i know that the podcast i was listening to was talking about stalin um and some of his like off off the beaten path uh, information about him but I know that they had mentioned something about "quote unquote" exile was getting sent to just some small town to live, get out of the city. We're tired of your shit. Here's some money so you don't die. Bye. It's probably like subjective too. You know what I mean? This like, is this, in this case. This is they kick him out of the country and they're like, "You can never come back." They kick him off. Get the fuck out of here. Wow. Like Lenin. <laughs> Lenin was 
Lenin was exiled from the country, meaning like he cannot come back. The the Germans send him back to Russia as sort of like their plan to to sort of destroy the Russian government. So talking mm-hmm. about Lenin, was Lenin an agent of MI6? <laughs> well, he was a, he was an agent of German intelligence. <laughs> Was he? Oh, that's right. Not not British intelligence. What's what's the what's German intelligence? I don't know what it's called during. Yeah, I don't know what it's called either. But he's but he's essentially an agent of the German army. Right, because isn't one of the big like uh, conspiracy theories that Lenin uh, pushed communism in Russia uh, because like as a kind of like a surreptitious kind of like a spy game. No, like essentially, what happened was they wanted him to destabilize the government, so they paid him and the Bolsheviks. They were on the Bolshevik, or the Bolsheviks were on the the German government payroll for a while. I see. It was something, and it was something they always hid. The idea wasn't, you know, like, oh, we want you to do this for us. It was more like you, you need you, you'll probably destabilize Russia and take them out of the war. Because the thing about the three people I mentioned before is that because they're socialists, they all oppose the war. They they oppose the war from the beginning. They say wars are bad. Right. Um, they they believe in that sort of socialist belief. You know that all war is just essentially for the profiting of the the ruling class. Uh, which it is. Yeah, I mean it's really hard to argue that. You know, I mean it, it definitely definitely goes in that direction. Carl Carl Liebknecht and Rosa Luxemburg they found what's called the Spartacus Bund. Which in English is like the Spartacus League, and and there's a lot of like in sort of socialism, they'll, they'll name sort of organizations off of ancient figures. Um, they they name theirs after Spartacus. Um, there's one in Great Britain named after Fabian, and it's sort of like an Who educational is- organization. Fabian is another sort of um, sort of Roman uh, proletariat leader. Okay. Okay. I was unfamiliar with Fabian, so... The, the Spartacus Bund is eventually folded into um, the independent um, Social Democratic Party, the USPD, which Haas becomes the, the chairman of. This, this party sort of operates as an opposition um, to the main Social Democratic Party. Um, the leader for most of this period in the Social Democratic Party is this guy named uh, Friedrich Ebert. Um, and he supports the war. He's he's not a very radical um, social democrat. He's very much about the status quo. The status quo is, is essentially like support the war, um, support the troops. Um, the war the war needs to be won, and we need to do everything we can to win the war. Eventually, Russia is defeated. Um, the czar is disposed, or the, the czar is deposed by the provisional government. Essentially, Tsar Nicholas is, is seen to be an ineffective leader and is, is sort of running the country into the ground. So the provisional government overthrows him, and this guy named Kerensky becomes the, the leader of the government, and he continues the war. This fucking guy, Kerensky. This guy. Yo, listen, who does this guy think he is? <laughs> the war... <laughs> With a vowel at the end of his name. He got a vowel at the end of his name like he's from somewhere. Listen, get out of here. <laughs> the, war, the war still goes um, poorly. There's sort of a promise made between the Entente powers and Kerensky that they will continue to support him and they won't work against him. The Entente he, being Germany, Austria, no, Hungary. 
No, that's the Central Powers. The Entente okay. is Great Britain, France, eventually the United States. Right. The The war is still going poorly, though. Um, they're still losing. They're not really making any gains. Um, they do make some big gains in 1916 against Austria-Hungary, but it doesn't really matter because the, the Germans are sort of pushing them in. The, the Eastern Front works a lot differently than the Western Front in that they don't really use trench warfare, so the warfare there moves a lot faster. This is it. So the Eastern Front doesn't use trench warfare? Yeah, they for, for a lot of reasons, uh, mainly due to like the mountainous terrain and the areas they're in, uh, trench warfare is not really used. So, okay. so it makes sense, okay. So it's more standing, standing sort of warfare, um, it, and the lines move a lot faster. So that's one of the reasons why Russia collapses. Um, the bo- so, uh, yes. just real quick, off topic real quick. Um, you said it was a bunch of, like, standing and fighting. I could never understand for the life of me why, um, you know, old school militaries, and when I say old school, I mean, like, old school Revolutionary War era, where they would stand across from each other on the battlefield and just stand there and shoot at each other, make no attempt to take cover, make no attempt to hide, anything like that. Can you imagine, like, can you imagine how scared these dudes were? Commander's like, all right, just go stand there in the middle of this fucking field, lined up, wearing this bright blue-ass coat. Shoot at those guys wearing that bright red coat over there. Yeah. And they're going to shoot back at you and just fucking stand well, there. Well, it's a little bit different, though, in World War One as opposed to... Revolutionary War, because in the World yeah, yeah, you know, no, the no, Revolutionary you, I was just War, because of the standing line. I'm not aware. I don't know. Maybe Steve can correct me on this, but you know, there was no rifling in the barrels of those fucking muskets. So when you shoot a musket ball, there's a good chance it's gonna miss you. Yeah, but still, it's still fucking scary. There? Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it's not scary. <laughs> I'm not saying I'd be like, I'll stand there. I'll stand no there. No fucking problem shit. at all, dude. You could hold two muskets up. I'll still stand here. Get these balls. He just said because it was a different type of fighting style. That's it's, And when he said standing, I was just immediately like, yo, those dudes must have had balls that they had to transport in fucking wheelbarrows. They did. I can't imagine just standing in an open goddamn field and having somebody shoot at me. And just stand there with a gun that takes seven minutes to reload. When I say it was standing, I don't mean they're walking, you know. and Well, they are, they are keeping formation, but it's not like... Yeah, yeah, no, I get you, I get you. It's, it's I was just taking like standing literally, warfare. and I just kind of jumped to old school, just lining up on a battlefield. <laughs> the Bolsheviks, um, the the Bolsheviks decide, you know, that they they want to sue for peace. Um, this the sort of faction um, after the provisional government comes into power, Lenin is is sort of secretly moved into Russia, and he sort of takes control of this faction called the Bolsheviks. Uh, the, a, a lot of what eventually happens in Germany has already happened in Russia, where in these sort of Soviets form. And a Soviet is an ad hoc workers and soldiers council. And the idea isn't that somebody is organizing them, it's that they organize themselves. Like So Soviet is a party? It, it's it, it's more of a council. It's like, okay. it's like a workers council. You know like when people talk about a union? If it was just a mm-hmm. union at a workplace and they eventually ended up running the workplace or the unit, that's what a Soviet would be. Okay. Okay. Because nobody is really running the government because the government has sort of collapsed. These people, these workers and stuff, they sort of take control of the factories that they work in and the cities that they live in. and the soldiers the production. And the soldiers as well sort of take control. So would you say that a group of Soviets is called a Bolshevik? <laughs> 
Well, Steve, Bolshevik <laughs> means majority. So, okay. A group of Soviets they, is called the Balkans. The, um. the, the, the name Bolshevik is kind of false advertising because they claim that they're the majority, but in reality, they, they sort of only controlled a minority of, of the people. Ah, I see. It, eventually what happens is that the October Revolution happens, people are upset with Kerensky, um, and eventually he's deposed by the Bolsheviks, mainly because he doesn't really know how to, to maneuver things politically. Um, he puts a lot of faith in these sort of leaders, um, Russian military leaders, who eventually go on to be called what are called the White Russians. He's, he's sort I'm of sorry why they got to be white. Because, because they're, they're anti- sweet, dude. That's why. Yeah, <laughs> they're not communist. <laughs> they, the the White Russians, they're Kerensky at this time is sort of caught between the White Russians and the Bolsheviks, and he's sort of like weighing both sides, and he's afraid that the Bolsheviks are going to overthrow him. So he gives a lot more power over to the White Russian leaders. And that sort of causes this scenario where he's removed from power, because even though the Bolsheviks weren't really going to move on him at that point, he sort of pushes them to. Huh. Because he, he misreads the situation. He, crea- he creates a political crisis that eventually gives the Bolsheviks enough support that they remove him from power. And then eventually the Bolsheviks begin fighting with the white Russian leaders who are supported by the Entente. Okay, I see what you're saying. So the Entente hasn't really given up on Russia at this point. They're still supporting these white Russian leaders. Um, the Japanese, for instance, are in, are in Vladivostok supporting leaders there. Um, the, the United States military is in Archangel um, supporting leaders there. They, they actually fight the Bolsheviks at several points and use poison gas against them. The, the Russian that doesn't civ- sound like a war crime. The Russian Civil War um, sort of keeps going. Um, the whites are not unified, but um, they're eventually defeated. Um, Lenin <laughs> down with the whites. Lenin eventually <laughs> endorses this model of like a worldwide revolution. Um, Trotsky will go on to support this, but Stalin eventually changes um, his, his sort of plans around this because it's not really working out in practice. And he would rather rule Russia with an iron. I'm sorry, the Soviet Union with an iron fist. Well, his idea is is that once the Soviet Union is uh, an industrial powerhouse, when it's sort of come up to the same level of the, the great powers of the world, then um, people will see the superiority of the Soviet model and be more willing um, to accept a communist form of government. I see. Last time I checked, now that the Soviet states had all broken up, I think, if I was reading it correctly, the older members that could remember life under communism wanted it back. And the newer kids didn't want it, but the older ones were like, no, like this capitalism sucks. It's, like, let's go back to communism. It's complicated, and it, there's a lot of reasons for that. But generally, the Soviet Union, especially towards the end, was pretty bad. Um, we can actually like probably do an episode on like the, the Great Purge and like sort of the the collapse of the Soviet Union, like what sort of led to it. Um, for multiple episodes, probably. But, to be but honest. for a lot of reasons, um, the Soviet Union was never really great. Um, life in there was was pretty tough. It was better than you know living under the Czar for a lot of reasons, but it was still pretty mm. bad, especially if you were a minority. Um, for a lot of reasons. 
Okay. Right. Right. All right. So 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 back to uh, Imperial Germany. Yeah. So so uh, that guy Nazi. Kaminsky, right? Ted Kaczynski. Ted Kaczynski. <laughs> Kerensky backs the White Russians. The White Russians lose to the Bolsheviks because he fucked up. The Entente well, supports he... the White Russians. Japan is supporting the White Russians, but they're not, they don't have any kind of like uh, stability, so they get messed up. They're and essentially the warlords. Right. Exactly. It's and like they, Afghanistan. They want to bring back the Tsar. Okay. It's essentially they want sort of like what the military people in Germany want is they want to return to an autocratic form of government. Czar Nikki Shakes. The Bolsheviks eventually agree to a peace treaty um, called the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk, and they cede all the Baltic nations to Germany. Um, they give Ukraine independence. Um, it didn't really deal with Poland um, because Poland is kind of a weird situation being divided between. Germany and Russia as it was um, it's and it is but Poland about to be more it is anyway. um, also noted that it's a harsher treaty than the Treaty of Versailles Russia loses about 34% of its population 54% of its industrial land 89% of its coal fields and 26% of its railways um, Russia's Russia's also fined 300 Holy million shit. gold marks 300 million but the thing is, is 300 million gold marks, that's... What does that equate Three, to? I mean, so it's German marks, 300 million gold marks, good God. But this is in... This is... Wait, is this... I, I'm kind of, like, screwed up timeline-wise. What part are we now? Is this post-World no, War I? No, this is during World War One. Yeah, so we're like... So we're like... Okay, so we haven't hit the... 16. We haven't hit the uh, inflation or anything yet. Okay. So three hundred gold, three hundred million gold marks is a lot of money. That's a lot of fucking. Yeah, money. I don't really know what the historical. Um, let me pull up the treaty and see if I can find. Okay. Because I didn't. S- what is it? The, the treaty of what? Oh, okay, rest. So anyway, that essentially. The Bolshevik government and the Central Powers come together with that. So Russia, and then Germany, Austria, Hungary, and the Ottoman Empire. Well, what's and then and then Russia is removed. Yes, but the the thing about that though is that by that time, Germany is really the only country um, that's that sort of left for a while because. Although Germany, um, Germany, Hungary, um, Bulgaria, um, and the Ottoman Empire sign it, um, or I should say, um, the a representative from Austria-Hungary signs it in Hungarian. Um, they, they, those countries don't exist. Like soon after this is signed, like Austria-Hungary doesn't actually like sign a peace treaty to end World War One. Because Austria-Hungary ceases to exist as a nation-state before the war's over. It just completely dissolves, and because the country no longer exists, they can't sign a peace treaty. Wow. So anyway, just long story, very short here, uh, 300 gold marks is, is almost a trillion dollars. I'm sorry, almost 100 billion. So it's a lot. In today's Yeah, and that's U.S. dollars. So, um, So... 
So they so these people sign this treaty and then they like cease to exist. Yeah, as a they country. they sign it and then eventually like the Ottoman Empire collapses in, into sort of revolutions. Um, the same thing happens with with Austria and Hungary. They eventually sign treaties, but Austria, Hungary, and the Ottoman Empire don't really sign um, treaties. Turkey eventually signs a treaty, but these these sort of countries cease to exist. So it's kind of like an old person leasing a Corvette. Yeah, once... <laughs> you know, like that, that Nick Swartzen bit where, like, grandma, you know, if you're going to go out, you know, you lease a vet, and you, if you die, so you have a good story on it. Like, I leased a vet. Like, How'd your grandma die? She flipped her vet on the highway, man. Yeah, she, she Paul Walkered it. Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In other words, you sign the lease. It, you know. In other words, Ryan, you sign the lease... But then you're fucking dead because you're old and you shouldn't be driving a fucking Corvette. Just make sure when you sign the lease that you you check the thing off that says that uh, if you die, the the, the debt doesn't go on to somebody else if they're also co-signing for you. No (laughs) co-signers, and also make sure you live in a state where debt is transferred to your next of kin, which can happen in some states. So yeah, that's a thing. So quick question: Did anyone co-sign the Treaty of Bratislavsk? They should (laughs) have. No, but seriously, did they? Any <laughs> they, they? They don't have such good credit, you know, being a new government, so they need somebody to come in and, and help them sign. Got it. And 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 who is it that's going to come in and help them sign? They they didn't get a co-signer. They're a very crooked dealership. They got a they got them a very <laughs> a very high interest. Loan. It's a buy here pay here place. Uh, it's a buy here pay here place, dude. What is with that, by the way? That buy yeah, here. I'm not even going to start that conversation. Buy it's here in house. It's it's an in house financing that charges you like ninety three percent interest. It's 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 fucking ridiculous. The, this guy it's for people we had this like sales guy that used to work for us. He was a he was probably a good guy, but he was such a uh, I don't even know how to Sleazeball. put it. I don't want to. I got to use an Italian word that I don't want to use, so I'm not going to use it. But basically, he was was he like a sleazeball? He was kind of. He came off that way sometimes, but he was always talking about how these like car dealerships, and he was like, "Oh yeah, they're buy here, pay here. They're buy yeah, here, they're, pay yeah. here. They're great. Buy here, pay great here. Great little small ripoffs. business. Buy here, pay here. No." No, that and the cars are apt to have a million and one things that are wrong with them. And yeah, it's just not worth it. Go to a registered dealership like or an actual dealership. Would you say that there were buy here, pay here. a million and one things wrong with the 300 million gold marks was, that Russia had to pay? Incredibly yeah, high. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I think Russia should have gone to one of those petty loan places. Western Sky Financial. <laughs> luckily, luckily for the Russians, they don't actually have to pay this um, because back they just bought. Well, the well the thing is, is that their original um, the the person they owed their debt to went out of business. So the the oh my god, I can see them being like, "You owe three hundred million gold marks in Russia." Just sitting there grabbing its crotch, like, "Hey, fuck you!" Like, we're going to pay anything. This is Russia. I don't know. Fuck. <laughs> Back, suck my nuts. back to the war. Um, the war is still going on in the West, though. Um, they have what's called the Spring Offensive in that starts March 21st in 1918. Um, it's also called the Ludendorff Offensive. 
um, because Ludendorff is the head of the German army at that time, and it's his big plan. Um, it's pretty much like the Battle of the Bulge, in that it's seen as like they're going to do this last big push that will break the lines of the enemy, and they'll be able to push through. But in reality, this doesn't really work out, because... Um, they don't really make any meaningful ground because the Americans have entered into the war. And while the British and and French are exhausted, the American troops, you know, they're fresh, they're well-supplied, um, they have good supply lines, um, they're able to hold against the Germans. A challenger has entered the arena. <laughs> Germany is still in France, but they're not, um, they're not able to keep on fighting. And they also... Have Germany has not been meaningfully invaded. There's a couple of places, you know, on the map where you can say that Allied forces, you know, entered into the country, but there hasn't been, you know, like they're not they're not storming German cities or anything like that. Germany at right. this time is also on the brink of starvation. Um, the army is holding out, um, but the people are growing tired of the war and sort of the degradations that being in the war brings. While the soldiers are on the front, you know, they're fighting, they're still in France, so they say, you know, we're winning the war. The, they don't get to go back home. You know, they occasionally get leave, but you, you don't really get to go back. So you don't really know what's going on at home. You don't know about how bad things have gotten. The Navy, on the other hand, have been stuck in port. The, the high seas fleet, the, the non-U-boat part of the fleet, has been stuck in port since the Battle of Jutland, pretty much, which happened in... Wait, make make more light of that. In other words, the military is at war. They're fighting, but they have no idea that the country is basically going to Yeah, they have they have shit. no idea what conditions are like at home. They don't really know about the starvation and things like that. Um, how bad of a situation Germany's in. It's kind of like that Japanese soldier that stayed on that island for twenty nine years fighting yeah. World War Two. Yeah, kinda. Yeah, no idea what the fuck was going on. He's the, still fighting Navy, 30 years after the war's over. Like I said, they've been in port since 1916. Um, the Battle of Jutland, which is kind of this inconclusive uh, naval battle between Britain and Germany, um, has, has sort of um, you know left them unable to leave port because they returned to port and the British have blockaded Germany. So Germany is unable to get supplies into the country. Thanks. And the, the sailors have been you know in port and they begin to be radicalized. Um, the same things happened, and the same thing happened in in Russia, in that these these sailors are in port. They see how bad conditions are, and because they're at home, they they want to do something about it. Um, and this is when sort of the the German Revolution breaks out, like like nationalistic nationalistic. Right, like they see them in port, and they're just. Well, I wouldn't even say it's nationalistic. This? I'd say it's more. You know, we want. We want food. We want. We don't want people, you know, to suffer more for this pointless war. So, in other it's words, more humanity than nationalistic. It's in other human, words, it's humans being humans. They're base. They weren't even getting good features out of the game. They, these were people whose basic needs were not being met. They weren't even, you know, they weren't looking at like in-app purchases yet. The game sucked. <clears throat> yeah, they weren't even these, to DLC these, yet. They these premium players. <laughs> They, they see how rigged the game is. <laughs> the whales, the whales out on the Western Front, you know, they still think... they Out on the Western Front, Britain they, just spending oh money they, hand they over think fist they to still download win. currency. <laughs> Was these these gotcha games. That's all war is. It's just a big gotcha game. 
By the way, uh, what was her name? Uh, Mama Rosenberg? It says here that kyphosis is commonly found in women. She wasn't that old, though. There you go. How old was she? She must have been, because it says that it's commonly found in older I, women, Steve. I mean, I can't argue I'm with a that. doctor. But listen, old, but listen, but listen, but listen. <laughs> in, in the 19-teens, old age was like 40. <laughs> no, it was Yeah, it was <laughs> Yeah, it was I think life expectancy was probably honestly in the she 50s. She was when the war the broke 19-10s. out, which was in 1914. She was 43 years old. Oh, okay. So she was like, you know, a spinster. She was married, though. <laughs> no, so yeah, but it was a political work. marriage. So... Oh man, I was right. Life expectancy in 1915 for men was 52.5 and for women was 56.8. Holy shit, she was old as fuck. That's for the years. That's cute <laughs> though, because for the years. normally it, if you can live until if you can survive to be 15, you can live to old age. Like what of one of the veterans, because you, because you can one of the veterans of these um, the freight corps that we'll get into, um, one of them died at the age of 105. He died in like 2009. So, wow. holy shit! Yeah, it's a, it's probably an outlier though. Yeah, because like the last Civil War widow just died like six months ago or some shit. Which is which is crazy. All right, so anyway, let's let's get back to it. The, yeah, she got married at like four years old. Of course, the population. Crazy. Like I said, it's fed up with the war. Um, the Navy is ordered to meet the British Navy in this climatic battle. The idea is is that on October 24th, 1918, that the German high seas fleet is going to leave port. They're going to engage the British blockade. They're going to defeat them and break the blockade on Germany. Um, that's that's sort of the idea they have. Um, the Navy isn't really um, isn't really feeling too hot about it, but the the high command wants it because if they don't break. Um, they don't break the blockade, you know, Germany's going to starve. Um, Woodrow Wilson um, sends these diplomatic notes in response to calls for a truce. Um, and his, his sort of demands that he has is that Germany leaves occupied territory, um, there's a cessation of submarine warfare, and the, the Kaiser ab- abdicates. These are sort of the, the guidelines he's setting down for the end of the war. Real basic stuff, the, too. The Not sailors at the, at the port of Kiel, um, they engage in what's called the Kiel Mutiny. Um, they rebel at the prospect of carrying out this naval order, and because they rebel, um, Kiel is sort of one of the big ports for the German high seas fleet. Which was which was in dock, right? Like, they weren't... So they're immobilized so, because all okay. the sailors have risen up in, in sort of rebellion. Yes, it's, it's very like similar to what happened as well in in Russia, um, with the with the Potemkin, the battleship. Um, the yes, the the battleship crew rose Potemkin. up. Yeah, yeah. In in sort of uh, to, to, <clears throat> Steve to put it in terms for like American terms for you, it was a bunch of New Jersey longshoremen who said, "Listen, man, we ain't getting paid. We ain't doing another motherfucking day of work for you. Your boxes will sit here. Your trucks will sit here. What? Nothing. Nothing's moving <laughs> for for the church." <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
such a longshoreman well, from Jersey we'll, we'll unionized get to the assholes is basically what it turned into. Whoa, 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 whoa. Before, whoa, 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 before you, before you just come to <laughs> They're mobbed up. blows. Uh, the, <laughs> I'm not going to fight about it. I'm just saying the longshoremen from New Jersey are not assholes. They're just working for a good dollar. No, no, no. I didn't say... They're mobbed up, right? <laughs> well, they used to be, and I think they the, still are, probably, uh, but whatever. Oh, several anyway. of the mutineers are arrested, and a call goes out to unions and people to strike in response. Um, the The cry that goes out is uh, peace and bread, um, essentially saying they want the war to end and that they want food. Um, the, the demonstrations attempt to liberate those arrested but are fired upon. Uh. Seven people are killed and 29 are seriously injured. Um, the demonstration grows into a revolt. Um, the mutineers are freed, and Kiel is eventually taken by them. Uh, the revolution then spreads throughout the empire. So, yeah. what happens at Kiel eventually spreads elsewhere. So the fall. I have to retake my previous comment then, because it's not if they wanted peace and bread, they're not like New Jersey sh- longshoremen, because they want like peace and like z- big ziti. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Uh, the, the Sunday gravy. <laughs> <laughs> the Sunday gravy. Jeez. Um, no, yeah, listen, I had a bunch of Italian I'm, friends going up, and their moms cook so good because my mom couldn't cook for shit. <laughs> Seriously, my mom could, like, let, listen, Hamburger Helper was out of her out of her cooking oof, room. Oof. Uh, Goddamn. It was bad. God bless you. Freaking, uh, so basically what you're saying, Steve, is that Frank Sabatka was running the union down there at the last time. <laughs> He, they and used the to make things in Kiel. Germany, like <laughs> and he was just, yeah. yeah. Um, it goes back to Ebert, Cars. Um, the head of the Social Democrats. He supports the army and the state, not the revolution. Uh, I fucking knew he Ebert feels, was a socialist. He feels the the state Dick. should be preserved, the revolution put down, because the the revolution is calling for the overthrow of the government. Um, Ebert declares on November seventh. Um, if the Kaiser does not abdicate, the social revolution is unavoidable. But I do not want it. Indeed, I hate it like sin. So he's essentially saying that while he doesn't want um, the Kaiser to abdicate, that the Kaiser will have to abdicate or this revolution will, you know, destroy Germany. On, on November 9th, yeah. 1918, um, Ebert demands um, to become chancellor and the Kaiser abdicates. Um, Karl Liebknecht is freed from prison and he restarts the, the Spartacus Bund. Um, the Kaiser and all 21 monarchs of Germany abdicate at this time. Um, the other 21 do it in succession, um, but Germany is, is sort of a federal state as, as it is today. And back then, it was sort of the same thing, but it was a collection of monarchies. Like Bavaria had a king, um, Prussia had a king, things like that. They're not really city states. states, It it would be like if Georgia had a king. Okay, so a bunch of just little tiny kingdoms. Yes, that are all part of the empire. Okay. Uh, Liebnik, um, so before Liebnik can, uh, a German republic is declared. Um, uh, One of the leaders, um, Schneidemann, he does this against the will of Ebert. Ebert does... Ebert doesn't want this to happen, but Schneiderman, who's another social democrat, does this. Fucking social um, democrats. 
Re- revolutionaries move to found the the Council of People's Deputies, and they take control um, of the government and sue for peace. Um, Can you Ebert sue still the government tries... for peace? Is that something you could do? Well, sue just means to bring suit against. So, or to bring essentially, you're, That's you're what bringing I'm saying. Can the you bring suit? Can you bring the government to suit for peace, though? Yeah. It's not. It's not an illegal. It's it's just a term saying that you're seeking a peace agreement. Like leave me the fuck alone, kind of peace agreement. Well, no, just just in general, just sort of the legal illegal peace agreement. Right. It's just the legal term that says you're seeking a peace. Okay. Um, and, and during this time, Karl Liebknecht declares uh, the Socialist Republic of Germany. Fucking so there, there are two there go. are two groups claiming to be <laughs> claiming to be the government of Germany. On Sunday, November tenth, um, revolutionary councils are elected, and they demand that there's an armistice um ebert attempts to rein in the revolutionaries um but he accepts the terms of the entente which is an armistice to occur on november 11th 1918 and on november 11th 1918 around this time um ebert makes a pact um with the quartermaster general of the army uh, gruner um, they make this sort of secret agreement where Gruner and the German military are to be given sort of free reign to act independently as long as they don't attack the government and deal with the leftists. The, the idea here is that uh, uh, Gruner is given a, a sort of secret agreement saying that as long as he doesn't, you know, go against um, the, the government as it is, um, the military will be able to do what it wants and it, they will be able to sort of attack the leftists freely. Uh, socialism is, is sort of a more orthodox at this time view of, of Marxism. It's this belief that eventually um, a communist society will be reached um, through a natural process, um, that eventually capitalism will collapse into socialism, right. and that... Um, and, and that eventually into communism. And the idea is, is to lessen the fall um, because the the switch from a capitalist society to a eventually a communist society is usually a pretty violent one, and and the idea of socialism is to sort of remove as much violence from the process as possible. So baby steps instead of trying to make huge jumps. Yes, and and communism is the huge jump. It's the belief that by doing certain steps, um, and, and and Lenin is sort of the first communist. Um, in this regard, and it's this idea that sort of Germany or Russia, a nation that is not a modern capitalist country, can sort of jump over that. That's fantastic. That, he can, that is a fantastic that he, analogy. That he can sort of bypass that step, um, because communism believes in this dialectical view of the world, which is sort of a, a cyclical view of the world, and that you can only go through certain steps. You have to go through phases. But Lenin's idea is that you will jump over the other phases and end up at the end. Uh, so is he saying that the one is he saying like the, the one um, or the only outcome is going to be communism? Like that's the best outcome? And well, that that's these are the, the steps end, you have to take to get to the communism? That's that's the end result. It, it, it's not saying that like it's it's not like communism is some sort of like like scheme where you know you have to follow these steps yeah, the yeah, yeah. Is, i mean is like is it, is it more like maslow's hierarchy of needs where communism is gonna be like the top well it's it's more like i wouldn't say it's like that it's more like you're moving along a circle okay 
like a quark. Okay. You know, you can't... It, the, the, with the way the quark works, is it's always moving, and it's always moving in one direction. Right. And, and the idea is is that, you know, you can, you can sort of jump. Lenin is essentially wanting to, to do some tricks and to, to make some sort of, like, crazy, you know, cheat code to get around that. You Why know? don't you just try up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right? A, B, A, B, 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 Start? <laughs> well, the Kunami code is just going to give them more lives. It's not going to get them further in the game. Yeah, that's true. Isn't that what they wanted? <laughs> There, there is also this. Other I think that's the point: this, is that they get more, they the get point. more labor at first, but they really don't know what the fuck to do with it, so they end up fucking it all up. <laughs> there, there is another agreement made at this point. Um, it's called the Steins Legan Agreement, and what Carl year Legan, are we in? What? What year are we in? This is still 1918. This is okay. still before. It's still around the time of the ceasefire. A lot of shit. A lot okay. of um, shit went on then. Carl Carl Wiegand, who's a, a union leader, um, he meets with Hugo Hugo Steins and Carl uh, Friedrich von Siemens. Uh, say the the Siemens con- company. <laughs> Ryan's always good for that laugh. Whenever the fifth grade topic comes up, <laughs> you know. Steve said Siemens. <laughs> God damn it. Oh my god! <laughs> you two asshole. I had to laugh too, though, because like it is funny. Oh I had to work. I worked anyway, at Siemens did. once. Oh my god, that fucking place! Jesus. There's but no they, way I could ever work at the place called Siemens. Uh, they, it was all they sticky. make an agreement. Okay, <laughs> Steve, go ahead. They make an agreement with with the with the unions, saying that they will. Um, give the unions more more voices, you know, greater bargaining power in industries, um, as long as um, there there isn't sort of a nationalization of industry. So the unions can stay around as long as they don't become socialist or socialismly nationalized. Well, socialistically. Well, no, that's no, that's that's not what the agreement is. The the agreement is is that the companies are saying we see which way the this is leading. Uh-huh. Um, and we've seen what happened in Russia. Um, we're willing to give you a greater say in how things are done here. We're, we're able to do more bargaining with you. We're able to work with you um, as long as you promise not to, you know, take over our factories and make them property of the comp- of the of the government. I can see Germany just doing that with their fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed behind their back. Mm-hmm. They do. No, we, we pinky swear. They do. They do sort of agree to this, and it does. It does sort of work out, but it sort of weakens um, the sort of the future for the the socialists and later the communists. Yeah, and later World War Two when their fucking German tanks were stamped made by VW. State well, just took over everything. VW. Um, what else did they take over? Was BMW around back then? They take over the BMW plants too. Well, yes, those were those were nationalized. But that was you're the man now, dog. The communists, the socialists. I, <laughs> White wings over blue sky. Hugo Boss, by the way, chef's kiss on the uniforms. But fuck you for being a Nazi. I know it's so hard to talk about the end of World War One and not jump right into every little fucking thing we know about World War Two. Well, well, we're still we're we still haven't even. Got I know, there. I know. We're we're still on arms to stay. So this is this is like sort of right after 
um, the the armistice happens. All this is sort of going on. I don't know if you can um, tell, but Steve and I are chomping at the bit to be able to start calling out Nazis. <laughs> can't wait! Can't wait! Simon Weasley, the, Henry Ford, Nazi. <laughs> they they eventually hold because um, they don't really have a, an actual like set government yet. Um, Ebert attempts. Uh, they they sort of have this general council convention, and it's this convention to form a new government. Um, Ebert attempts to prevent the leftists from taking part in the convention, and he orders um, the military to move against them. Um, the military um, kills some demonstrators, but the leftists don't really have any any moves. They don't really make any moves at, at joining the convention. Um, Ebert attempts to get ten returning divisions to move against the leftists. Um, so these so are so when um, you say. Re- move against the leftist how does that even work like do they have a base like what is that is this it would be just to go to their their offices (laughs) and where they're protesting and organizing and just shooting them so no like thoughts or anything they're just organizing they have an idea they're offering alternative solutions and they get shot or is it that they are violent and they're going after them because they are violent in some way it's not because they're they're violent. It's that he's afraid they're going to um, sort of take over the government. So essentially, he's preemptive so, murder. Essentially, in in a way, okay. he's Ebert, minority reporting. Yeah, Ebert doesn't want it to turn into the the Soviet Union. So he he is having he wants the military to move against them. Right, um, and he attempts to get these ten returning divisions to move against them, but they they refuse to. Um. Wait, they refused uh, the they, Chancellor of Germany? Because they're returning home from the war. They're not really, like, in the they're military like, anymore. Well, they're, tired. Let me ask you a question. Like, obviously, like, word of mouth got to them. Before, they didn't really know, like, what the state of Germany was. So now they're, these divisions are returning to, to Germany. I mean, is there a formal power structure, or is there kind of a vacuum there where they don't really have to listen? There's there's kind of a vacuum, and it's also you know right before Christmas, so they just want to get home. They they don't want to be involved in just sort of like fighting these protesters. The una jingle bells. <laughs> <laughs> they they don't they don't want the Krampus to come visit them. Yeah, so I'm about they to say the Krampus is like the worst thing ever, dude. You see that Talking movie? About on the that is terrible. Gent- gentle giant. You see the movie? I saw it. I got forced to watch Terrible. it by a man who's from Austria and South Africa. And he, well, this is my culture. Yeah, he made me watch it. <laughs> the, now, he speaks perfect English, but he's, he made us watch it. Ridiculous. So, despite Ebert's efforts and, and sort of the violence he instigates, um, the council is mostly made up of uh, Social Democratic Party members. Um, there, none of None of these sort of radical elements really make it. Um, none of them are able really to get into the building because they only have so many seats um, for people to get in get in on this council, um, and they don't really have standing room. So he just he just leaves. Like um, Leipnik, um tries to get in, but they there's no room for him, so he just goes. Oh. These 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 members agree with um, Ebert's program, except for the part where um, the military be given independence. Um, Ebert had sort of made that agreement secretly, so nobody's really aware that he's given the military carte blanche to do what they want. And 
and if he allows the government to um, sort of take away the military's independence, that will damage um, damage his agreement. So he pushes against that. The supreme command of the the military they begin organizing what are called um, the the Frey Corps. The the Frey Corps is is sort of an older concept the in, in sort of German history. Yeah, Frey F R E I K O R P S. Okay. Essentially, essentially means the Free Corps, and in German history throughout time, when when you had all these sort of warring principalities and states. The, the Free Corps historically were like mercenaries. So it's an existing uh, institution that is like historically... Uh... Well, they're, they're taking their name from a historic institution, but they're essentially um, so, like former soldiers that have been demobilized from the war, but have kept all their weaponry and are, are sort of operating as militia groups and, for the government. Right, and they're not impotent like the people who walk around calling themselves Viking in the United States. <laughs> Patriot See, Prayer and Three Percenters and all these other clowns. They they are sort of like the the Three Percenters God in that they are of that they are a militia group. They're an anti-communist like sort of militia movement. No, I got to be honest with you. Like it 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 takes some balls to kill people. Like especially back then, you know. Well, yeah, because back of, then you had to do it up close and personal. Yeah, you could you couldn't well, do it from like two two hundred feet away with a gun. You had to you had to like get up in a man's face and look him in the eyes. Mm-hmm. I I'm not so sure about that that two hundred foot one. Steve. No, that's the, <laughs> two hundred feet. Two hundred feet's pretty far. Let's see, two hundred feet knife gun. Steve, argument. you've obviously never been to the shooting to to the fucking shooting range with me, bro. These these guys are all are all veterans of the First World War. Uh, most of them have um, PSD pretty much. Like they're those types of guys that you know go off to war and they can't really come home. Oh, PTSD, shell yeah. shocked. They're shell shocked. Yeah. They're they're kind of shell shocked, but they're but they sort of. Um, yeah, that's they, what they, they called it back carry... then. Before before it was PTSD, they would call it being shell shocked. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's what the the correct term was back then. Battle, battle fatigue. They, I believe. Battle fatigue, do they yeah. still call it that? Because uh, there's still so many fucking idiots in, in our government and military and in society at large. You know that man. This is that macho men. bullshit. But anyway, the difference fucking... is that they're more of like the damaged kind of people who come back and they just can't stop being violent. They can't stop. I got it. You know. They, yeah. they, the war made them into killers, and they'll keep being killers. Right. We all know people like that. Not on that e- extreme scale, but we all know that you know someone goes in the military, they come back, and they're just a completely different person. Yep. Ebert's Ebert's sort of posturing and the way he's been acting leads to a Chris, uh, what's called the Christmas Crisis of 1918. A Christmas um, Crisis. The the sailors at Kiel <laughs> they've organized themselves into what is called the People's Navy Division. Um, and they've set up in Berlin to protect the government, and they station themselves in the royal stables, which are across from the Berlin city palace. So they're in downtown Berlin. I keep forgetting setting yourself up in the stables is not a not like a disrespectful thing back in the nineteen teens. Well, they're the they're the royal stables. So I'm sure they're they're pretty nice, you know, buildings. Once you that's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like I, I feel like that the, the royal stables are probably nicer than my fucking house. Ebert attempted to have them um, disbanded and get their pay cut. Um, 
So all he was able to do was get their pay cut. His idea was, you know, that if they, they stop getting paid, you know, they're just going to go home. Um, but on December 23rd, the, the sailors uh, occupy the Imperial Chancellery. They, they cut all the phone lines and demand that Ebert pays them. The, the RB on... How much, Dece- I'm sorry, how much do they demand that he pays them? They, they just want their normal salary. They're, they're not like sort of... They're, so not, they're, making, not, like, like, they're not asking for yeah, the fig. They just yeah, want their okay. yeah. They just want their back pay. They're not extorting them. Okay. The the army attempts to dislodge the sailors on the twenty fourth, um, but they're unsuccessful. Um, the the sailors, you know, they're they're able to put up a good resistance. They're able to fight off these soldiers, and these soldiers are eventually their units get disbanded and folded into the Frey Corps. So basically, army beats navy hands down. Navy sorry, beats navy, army. Navy beats army hands down. Okay. The the USPD, the the sort of independent um, social democratic party, the one that Haas is the head of, they they leave the government in protest on December 29th. They're they're tired of Ebert and what Ebert's doing. Um, so Ebert's sort of actions and posturing has caused the this sort of branch of the social democratic party to leave the government. Um, soon after this, um, the Communist Party of Germany is founded. Um, Luxembourg and Liebknecht, um, they found the Communist Party, um, and it's mainly composed of the Spartacists and other leftists. Um, they're more of what you would call a syndicalist uh, movement and group, whereas um, communists are, Marxist, uh, are usually uh, Marxist-Leninist, meaning that they sort of follow um, the ideas of, of Lenin and then eventually like Stalin. They're more of what's called syndicalism, which is this idea of um, sort of a, everything being like councils, that there isn't just like a one-party state. It's more like, you know, sort of that you would have different councils at different places and they would determine things. That sounds like a pretty good way to set things up, to be honest. It's it's not a bad um, system. Uh, so that's that's what they go, to, go for. Um, Luxembourg is not a big fan of Lenin. Um, she's coming to disagreements with him and she's critical of what he's done in Russia. Um, Liebnik as well is, is not very happy with it, um, but Liebnik is kind of all over the place. How so? He, he, he just sort of, um, he doesn't agree with the wider party. Um, he sort of supports a, a revolution, but he doesn't really know exactly how to go at it. He's not as stalwart as Luxembourg is. She stands on a lot of her principles a lot more often. Um, for instance, she opposes uh, publicly opposes Lenin and what they're doing in the Soviet Union, um, and she will also oppose um, the revolt that comes. In so, January. what year is this? This is this is essentially on like around uh, New Year's Eve on of nineteen eighteen. So this is sort of at the end of December. Um, so soon after the the Communist Party of Germany is founded, there's what's called the January Revolt of nineteen nineteen. Um, on January 5th, um, a grassroots demonstrations break out all over um, Berlin, and they begin seizing parts of the city. Um, a 53-member um, interim revolutionary committee is declared, um, and they, they essentially say they're in control, but they don't really have any idea of what they're doing, so they're not able to do anything. <laughs> so while they, while they do seize control... They, they sort of fight with each other. It's, it's sort of like the, the same thing that happened you know, with like Occupy. 
yeah, where, yeah, you, yeah. where you have this sort of movement where they say we're going to be a leaderless movement and it's very grassroots. But the problem with that is that when you actually come to a point where you need to make decisions, everybody um, just stands around. Yeah, you can't make decisions because you have 53, 53 jerks who say, you know, I'm the leader. Or you have 53 different opinions or like, yeah, yeah it's just dumb. Leibnick supports them, and he calls for the overthrow of the government. So, so Leibnick is going like whole hog into this. Um, Luxembourg, she doesn't support them, and she tells them that they should stand down. She's like, you're, she she feels you know they're not really going to accomplish anything, and all this is going to do um, is is bring down um, the military on them because very few troops support um, the the sort of um, this this sort of revolt. And then also the not even the People's Navy Division, which is mostly you know about protecting, um, ensuring the existence of the Republic. They don't support the revolt either. So what, you, what mm-hmm. month are we in? This is in January. So January of ni- yes. nineteen nineteen. Yes, that's great. So we've we've so this we've is only, only gone like two, two or three months, and the upheavals this, just keep going. This is less than two months after the armistice. November. And the hits just keep January. Coming. Yeah. So yeah. So it's less than two months. And the hits keep on coming. Um, n- negotiations break down um, between the revolt. Ebert was was sort of looking into you know, like maybe talking with them because he was worried, but he finds a leaflet um, before he goes to a meeting um, that says that that essentially says that you know the time has come to overthrow the government, and so Ebert feels that he shouldn't negotiate with them anymore. And uh, oh, this happens on, on January 8th. He does that off of a leaflet? Or was he already leaning he finds, in that direction? Well, he's he's unsure about things because it's a socialist sort of revolt that he's against. He's against the socialists. Okay, okay. Like Listen, these, these leaf, sort of, leaf, leaflets carry a lot of power. Look what happened when Martin Luther nailed a shitpost to the door. I mean, leaflets. <laughs> the first shitpost. <laughs> it's, it's not just that he finds like this leaflet, it's that they're distributing these leaflets telling people the time has come to overthrow the government. You know, he is the government. Ah, uh, okay. I see what you're saying. I so can understand he, being scared if I'm the government and I come up on a leaflet that has overthrow the government. I'd be terrified. When he when he sees these government these leaflets, you know, that say the time the the time for like the final like the final like revolt has happened or whatever, he he sort of like freaks out. Mm-hmm. Um, <gasps> and then so he he has this guy who's in his government. His name is uh, Gustav uh, Noska. He's the people's representative for the army and navy, so he's the civilian that interfaces with them. He is he is not the direct commander of the Frey Corps, but he's one of their like handlers. Um, so he has the Frey Corps come into Berlin on January twelfth to crush the uprising. Um, and, and a quote from him on this: um, "If you like, someone has to be the bloodhound. I won't shy away from the responsibility." Uh, the Frey Corps take no prisoners, he, huh? The the Frey Corps they retake um, they retake the buildings that the that the revolters have taken, and they execute the surviving occupiers. 156 people are killed by the end. Um, on, on January 15th. Uh, Rosa Luxemburg and Karl Liebknecht are discovered and arrested in Berlin. They they had been staying together in a apartment, sort of hiding out, um, even though they weren't directly involved in the the sort of revolt. They are seen as being partially responsible by the government, and Liebknecht kind of you know th- 
threw himself into it by by sort of supporting them and calling for the the revolt and overthrow of the government. They're both handed over to what's called the the guard cavalry shoots in division of the Frey Corps. All the Frey Corps have these sort of division names. Most of the times they're named after their commanders. This one is run by a guy named um, Captain uh, Waldemar Pabst. Um, Pabst. <laughs> and the name of the uh, group is the, pa- it's the Pabstmere. <laughs> did he, did the, he ever earn a blue ribbon? In, in 1894? <laughs> yes. Um... That he, beer is so disgusting it could have been brewed in 1894. Nobody would probably tell the difference. That's just so he, gross. He questions both of them. He has them beaten unconscious with rifle butts and then has them executed. Jesus. Luxembourg's body is thrown into the... You gonna talk the shit now, uh, bro? Luxembourg's, <laughs> Luxembourg's body is thrown into the, the Landwehr Canal. So, so they, she's just... The soldiers just throw her dead body into this canal. Um, and there, there's a reason for that I'll get to. And Liebnik, uh, his body ends up in the morgue as like sort of a, a, a Johan Doe. Like it ends up unidentified, and they eventually figure out, you know, that it's him. Huh. Um, Pap's official claim as to what happened was that he was protecting them, but a mob took them. Um, but few people believe it because um, they, they sort of disappear for a while. Um, people are aware that the military had taken them, uh, but that, that's sort of his initial story, that this mob killed them. But it becomes very clear when they find the bodies and they see how they were treated and shot that they were not taken by a mob. Um, Pabst had originally uh, wanted Liebnik to be executed by firing squad um, because Liebnik was a German and he felt that that was fitting, a fitting death for a German. But he wanted Luxembourg to be beaten to death in a pogrom because she was Jewish. Jesus. Okay, so let's just get this out right now. Anti-Semitism was fucking rampant. The thing about Pabst, too, is that Pabst was not a Nazi. Like, he was not a supporter of the Nazis, and he was They weren't even... Well, he wasn't a supporter of the Nazis when they were Nazis, when they became Nazis. He was... Well, Pabst dies in 1970. Jeez. Wow. He lives he okay. lives to be eighty nine. Like, like we the know Pauli like Gulti area fucking German like military <laughs> history. I was here when the Columbus were born and I barely got out. You remember the Kaiser? I remember the Kaiser. I barely got out. The Columbos were blowing each other's fucking heads off. I kissed that motherfucker's feet. I have so much respect for the Kaiser. <laughs> so Paps was not a Nazi. Yeah, he he essentially um, he he was he was an anti-Semite. Um, he was vaguely linked um, to the Nazis, but he never really became a um, he he never really um, became a member. He did sort of early on um, sort of seek to have an alliance with them, um, mainly through his friend. Um, Walter uh, Funk, who was um, who was a German economist, so he's a shitbird. Um, he, but he didn't minister. He didn't believe in the uh, policies of the shitbirds. Yeah, he 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 never became like a full Nazi, and his sort of non-involvement with them also sort of brought him into um, sort of conflict with 
um, the Nazis after the the July twentieth plot, yeah. which was the the plot to kill Hitler, sure. because because Wilhelm Canaris, who had been like the head of German like military intelligence for a long time, was friends with Pabst, and he was also involved in in what I'll get to with the actual trial that happened over the murders of of Liebknecht and Luxembourg. Okay. Because he was I smell associated. two parter is what I smell. Yeah, I smell two parter a- too. I mean, I'm not trying to do apologia here for Pabst either. Just so you know, he, he's an anti semite, so fuck him forever. But, but but he yeah. was but he was close enough that like he he was close enough with Canaris that they suspected him of being involved in the plot. and he fucking lived through the goddamn uh, whole thing. So obviously he did what he had to do, which is fucked up enough. And we know we know about his like the things he said. Because he was interviewed later on, and he just freely said, you know, that's what he wanted to do. That's, because, I, I mean... Because oh, nobody that's... was really punished for this. Um, the The main punishments that happened was that two of Pap's lieutenants, one of them had been spotted um, in, in the disposal of Luxembourg's body. Um, they, are, they are court-martialed, and they are imprisoned for two years, because essentially the military just gives them a slap on the wrist. Because remember, the military is not under civilian control and oversight, so they can do what they want. Mm. Hmm. Eventually, this leads to the Constituent National Assembly in January 19th, um, 1919, so a couple days after this. Um, the Communist Party boycotts because, you know, their, their leaders have been assassinated. Um they they eventually reconvene on February sixth and meet in, in in Weimar, and this is where Ebert is elected temporary Reich president, and Philip uh, Schneiderman, the man mentioned earlier, is elected uh, prime minister. Hmm. Um, Ebert becomes um, the Reich chancellor on August twenty first, nineteen nineteen. So eventually, he becomes the actual president. And this is the second Reich, right? Technically, this isn't a Reich. The first Reich is the Holy Roman Empire. The second Reich is the um, German Empire, and then the third Reich is Nazi Germany. Um, okay, this so isn't this a Reich fall because under a certain Reich, okay? Because Reich means empire, yeah. and this is a republic. Okay, okay. Um, one of the things, though, because this is also part of the um, sort of the forming of the Constitution, this is one of the big things that will sort of bite them in the ass later on and allow the Nazis to have a lot of power. And it's this Article 48 that they put into the the Weimar Constitution. And what does Article 48 say? Article 48 says, In the event of a state not fulfilling the duties imposed upon it by the Reich Constitution or by the laws of the Reich, the President of the Reich may make use of the armed forces and compel it to do so. If public security and order are seriously disturbed or endangered within the German Reich, the president of the Reich may take measures necessary for their restoration, intervening, if need be, with the assistance of the armed forces. For this purpose, he may suspend for a while, in whole or in part, the fundamental rights provided in Articles 114, 115, 117, 118, 123, 124, 153. So the basically president- what they're saying is if things aren't going right, the president can basically use the military as he sees fit without anybody over... over- overruling or trying to stop him the the president can essentially declare martial law and deprive people of their rights and use the military to to enforce the enforce order cool Um, okay and then so the president of the reichstag must uh must uh, the president of the reich must inform the reichstag 
Without delay of all measures taken in accordance with paragraphs 1 and 2 of this article, these measures are to be revoked on demand of the Reichstag. If dangerous imminent, a state government may, for its own territory, take temporary measures as provided in paragraph 2. These measures are to be revoked on the demand of the President of the Reich or of the Reichstag. Um, and the powers of the Reichstag would be through the, chance, the Chancellor, who's essentially the Prime Minister of the, mm-hmm. the German government. Um, mm-hmm. So by Hitler becoming both of those positions, he can essentially do whatever he wants. Yeah, that's, that, that's his little slide into, I can do anything I want, nobody can stop me. The, the Freikorps, um, they, they keep operating um, as uh, pretty much officially as death squads until 1920. Um, even after they're disbanded, some continue to operate for years after. The freight continues to operate yes. after they're disbanded? Yeah, after they're officially disbanded, some of them, you know, keep going. Huh. Um, they, would also, they would also go on to fight communists and leftists in the Baltics and Poland. They, they sort of operate, sort of supporting the right-wing governments there is, and, and just sort of um, attacking and attempting to to overthrow them. Um, when they capture Riga, um, they kill 3,000 alleged communists. Oof. Um, it, it gets to a point where they're killing about 50 to 60 prisoners a day. Like, executing? Yes. Just because they're communists? Yeah, just because they're communists. Um, they don't want a communist state sort of by Germany. Um, they want to sort of have these these governments, and I believe some of them also sort of believe that Germany is eventually going to um, take over. Because um, most of them, they're, they're monarchists, um, and they're a lot of them too, you know, they're veterans who don't really know where to go, so they signed up with these, these Frey Corps groups. Right, right, Black War. Um, they don't really, um, they're not, though, so a number of them are anti-Semites, you know, like anti-Semitism and sort of the the racism that that comes to sort of um, be associated with the Nazis doesn't really um, go with them. The one in particular um, is very, very much in line with the Nazis. Um, the Treaty of Versailles is declared on um, June 28, 1919. Uh, we all know like how bad it was. Um, Keynes, the, uh, the economist who was at the signing of the treaty he was one of the british representatives um he he referred to it as a carthaginian peace meaning that the allies had essentially wanted to destroy germany and leave it in a state that it could never you know um rise up again yeah and i will say that tookman in the the guns of august really slams that point home if i remember correctly, that basically that treaty was just a, a just a sniper shot like it was just like okay and that treaty was also what is going to be a big part of Hitler's rationalization when it comes to World War there II. Go with the Nazis. Saying, hey, we got so fucked in this, let's fix this. Yep. Um, soon after, um, Hugo Haas is assassinated in the Reichstag. Um, on October 8th, 1919, um, the, a, a man just sort of walks up to him and shoots him. Um, there's, no shame. No shame he, in his game. And then he is claimed to be insane. Um, what? He, he's, Hugo? He's sent to an asylum. No, the guy that oh. shot him, right? The guy that... Hugo Haas is dead. This yeah. guy just straight up walks he up to him, him the shoots him head. dead. No, I'm saying, like, he shot him because, like, this guy's crazy. I gotta take him out. Yeah. And then 
this guy that the assassin is he's committed to an insane asylum but people on the left claim you know that he was a paid assassin so he's ja- so he's jack right. ruby oh or, man he's, i'm he's a patsy more, i'm a patsy I would, say, I would say more of a sirhan sirhan well i was i was listening to that uh that episode of chapo you told me about because uh, they released it in the main feed and it was about uh about Charles Manson and the MK Ultra shit. Wait. Yeah. Which episode? The MK Ultra thing about Charles Manson. On Chapo? Yeah. Yeah. You gotta check it out. Which episode? You no. gotta fucking check Which it out. I'll, 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 I'll type it in thing later, but uh, right, cool. but basically they talked about how Jack Ruby was. Um, I think it's he was he was a no. Patsy. I think it said that like they were gonna say that he was insane or something like that or or, or something like that. Like he had a seizure. That was like his defense against. Like what happened? Well, he had he he went no. into he had a couple he had a psychotic breakdown. Right. He he had a psychotic break while in custody, and nobody nobody was really sure what was going on. But that's one of the theories that he was being like dosed because they they dosed him to get him to kill, and then they further kept dosing him to to sort of have him have a psychological breakdown, so they couldn't get anything out of. Jeez. Him. And that was the time period where they were with the United States government and the. Uh, CIA was actively using LSD as much as humanly possible. Um, anyway, since we're we're sort of coming coming to the end of this sort of um, period, it sort of capped off with what's called the the cap push. Um, this happens on March thirteenth, nineteen twenty. The the government attempts to disband the two most powerful freight corps units, who are the 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 Marine Brigade. Uh, Lowenfeld and the Marine Brigade um, Earhart. This, um, the these sort of units are, are sort of well liked by um, by the heads of the um, government, who are um, who are Wolfgang Kapp and Walther von uh, Lutwitz, these the sort of military leaders, um, and Kapp von Lutwitz. Erhardt, Pabst, and Eric uh, Ludendorff, the old um, head of the military, they form this conspiracy to coup the government, um, but they're pretty unprepared. Okay. Um, they they don't they, they don't really have their plan set out, but they they sort of commit to it, um, and they want to install an autocratic military government. And this is uh, right after the Treaty of Versailles, basically. Well, this is this is uh, less than a year after. Gee. Oof. Just disrespectful. Um, the the military doesn't fight the the coup. Um, not everybody um, joins in, but a number of military people don't don't get involved. Um, but the civil servants and workers strike. Um, they they see what's going on. They don't want it to happen, and they strike and they shut down everything. They they shut down you know the airports. They shut down the train stations. Um, they shut down the government. Um, they also shut down all the utilities. So there's no electricity or water. Wow. Um, wow. One one interesting thing about this is that um, Hitler, who is still a member of the German army at this point, he attempts to join the coup, um, but he but his plane that he's in, the sort of like this coup-aligned army plane that's been chartered, lands at the wrong airport, and he has to sort of disguise himself and escape so they don't know that he's a soldier. So he was already like leveling his Pokemon. He's very he's very big fan of pushes because remember he does the beer hall push. Sure, yeah, about he does three beer hall. This might be the greatest push of all time. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah, I hadn't heard uh, about it before, but then I watched Down Abbey and they were so upset. 
<laughs> so I had to look it up. <laughs> the... Oh my god! Do you, did you not take his? Uh, I'm just—I'm obviously kidding, man. He's just funny. I'm just—I'm just, fu- just funny. I, I don't know that he is. <laughs> the, the the police stand down as well. They don't act. Um, the the government asks them to act. Um, Ebert asks them to to you know like sort of stop the kooks. He knows it's coming, right. uh, but they they don't do anything. They don't they don't shoot. They they just let the the coup um, sort of take over the government. Um, the coup though collapses because while they have you know taking control of the government, they don't have anything else. So they're unable to get messages around. They have to use um, couriers to deliver messages um, since they can't use the telephones or any other forms of communication because the the strike has shut that down. And they come to find out, Mr. Adolf is a damn good courier. Apparently, he could run very well. The the coup. I mean, you laugh like there's 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 like things that I've learned about this fucking. So so Hitler was a good like, sprinter. So you're saying like yeah, he was, like he was a messenger. He was a messenger in World Let me ask you a question. And I'm not comparing the two men. He's a very good sprinter. But was he as fast as Joseph Campbell? I think he was more on the terms of like Usain Bolt when he wow. laid fucking <laughs> running through the trenches. Really. <laughs> That's that's why the SS has the two lightning bolts as their emblem. Right. It was actually how Nike got their logo. That's why he was so mad when Jesse Owens Steve, won in the Olympics. Steve, you can't say that. We're not going to get the Nike endorsement. I don't want that shit anyway. I'm a dad. I want if you, new if you If you keep this up, we're not even going to get Squarespace. Squarespace? I cut out. I cut, you know me. I'm going to cut out all the controversial shit, and nobody's ever going to know we said it. But I'm gonna leave that in. Um, dis, d- despite what? the running, despite the running prowess of the future Fuhrer, um, the coup collapses. But the planners are all given amnesty. <laughs> I want that to be. That's gonna be the title of the episode. Of the episode, right there. Let me write that down. The running prowess of the future Fuhrer. Despite the running prowess of the future Fuhrer, the coup. Collapses. Got it. Go. <laughs> um, all of the planners who are involved in this are given amnesty. Like some of them go into hiding, but the government just you know gives them a blanket amnesty. Um, doesn't doesn't really try any of them. Um, nothing really happens to them. But this is sort of a big win and sort of cements that the the Weimar Republic is, um, is there to stay um, since it survived this coup and it survived the previous revolts. You know, people's confidence in the government survives, and this pretty much stays this way um, until you know 19 until the stock market crash. It, it's not until the the stock market crash in 1929 that that people begin to lose faith in the government and the Nazis begin to you know rise in power seriously. Right, because you need a what you know. I don't want to get political, like 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 locally political right now. You need a. Uh, a recession and then a depression or the power vacuum or the economic vacuum occur so that, you know, nationalists can jump in. Let's go. And there wasn't a huge power vacuum in Germany. It was more the economic that kind of fell it more than anything, right? But what people leave out sort of is that things had gotten better as sort of the, oh, okay. the allies, the, the Entente started dropping, you know, they weren't being, you know, they, they were sort of dropping some of their, their pushes, you know, on, on getting repayment. 
um, and a lot of the a lot of what they were paying back was using American um, credit. But the thing is, is that they, Germany kind of blew it because their what they did was in World War One made the rest of the world have quite a bit of anti-German sentiment. Did it not? Well, it's not that there was um, that that brought about the anti-German set, um, sentiment. It was this idea that they were blamed for the war, which most people would argue, you know, the war wasn't entirely Germany's fault. Essentially, what the the Allies had said, or the the Treaty of Versailles had said, that Germany was like one of the sole causes of the war. So, damn. So imagine having all that laid at your feet. Ooh. So again, like we're all about facts on the show. We really are, even though we fuck around. Germany wasn't the sole cause of the war. We know that, but I mean that's just. That's just obvious. Like, we don't even need to get into specifics right now. Because the thing is that while, you know, people were mad, like, Germany was on the was on sort of the up and up in, in the Weimar period. You know, the economy was improving. Um, and, you know, for instance, the Autobahn was a Weimar project. It was not a Nazi project. Right. The only the only reason it got built under the Nazis, and it would have it was pretty much going to be built on schedule what it was when the Nazis came into power, anyways, was because the Nazis were running a massive credit scheme. Hmm. Like that sounds like, familiar. Like the Nazis rebuilding Germany mainly <laughs> happened because they were selling bogus stock. So they were selling they, Herbalife. They, it works. <laughs> in, it, it wasn't so much that it was Herbalife. It was like a Ponzi scheme. Oh, okay. It, it was sort of like... It was It was more like your star citizen of, of companies. Uh, People... When they were... When they're building... When they're rebuilding Germany and they're building up the military, they're using what are called um, these these MIFO bills. And, and MIFO was this... A sort of abbreviation of this name of the steel company that didn't exist. It was, it was a sort of a... It, it was just a shadow company. It was a dummy company that they were using, that they were writing these sort of stock. Essentially, these, these stock bills were like, um, or, or I guess they'd be more like bonds, whereas they had a date where saying, like, you did this work, um, this is our IOU, you can get this on this date. Right. But the problem was, was that all of the bills were due around, like, 1940. So if Germany had it invaded... Um, the other countries in 1939, the government probably would have collapsed because all their credit would have come due. People would have come said, you owe us money. Because their plan all along was that they were going to pay for everything after they, like, stripped the countries that they invaded of everything of value. Right. That was, that was addressed in the Guns of August, too. That essentially they, that there was to basically pillage. The, the idea, too, that, you know, the Weimar Republic was, like, this, this terrible place where everybody was, like, starving to death is also part of sort of that, like, Nazi-era, like, German propaganda. And while it was, you know, not great and the economy was suffering, you know, it was not, like, that way all, throughout the whole entire period. It, it's sort of like the myth, you know, that the Nazis say, you know, that they took power when they essentially got handed power by, by whining a lot. Why am I not surprised that Nazis are whiners? So I think uh, right there might be a good time to, uh, like, let, let's go over what we've talked about so far, because this, this is incredibly interesting, and it's really spiraled out into a 
large. We're discussion. definitely going to cut this into two so parts. I think we should yeah. do a the second, second part. Will be I think like the rise of Hitler himself. Our uh, our, our our future, the running prowess of our future well, fear. Well, I have. Well, we're. I, I pretty much just have like one thing of like how this goes into the rise of the Nazis, and it's it's somewhat quick, but just just to give a summation of what happened, is that um, at the end of World War One, um, Germany um, Germany collapses. Um, and the government that, that sort of forms from the collapse, they make a peace treaty with the Allies. And during that period, um, there's a lot of uh, violence between different political factions, both communist and, um, and and sort of right wing, these these sort of nationalist groups that eventually give rise to sort of a group that's sort of a combination of the two, where you have a, a nationalist group that also wants some forms of socialism. Hmm. Interesting. Um, one one big thing that comes from this period is is probably one of the biggest things that helps the Nazis come into power is not so much the Treaty of Versailles, but it's what's called the uh, the Dolchstoss legend, or the stab in the back myth. And essentially, this myth is that the Germany have been betrayed by the Social Democrats, and later this gets uh, colored in sort of the anti-Semitism that it was sort of Jews within German society, um, because a lot of well, Jews also get a lot of the blame because when you look at the leaders of a lot of communist movements, a number of them are Jews. Right. So th- and, and it the just reason- makes it even easier. Because, Well, the thing is, though, is they may have been Jewish, and I've heard this said, but they may have been Jewish, but it was just, there was already anti-Semitism, so it was just convenient. Yes. Well, the thing, too, is that, like, the, the explanation, really, the, the simplest explanation for why, you know, there are all these, that all the leaders of these, these sort of political movements are, are Jews is because Jews are very well-educated and they're second-class citizens. Um, so, of course, these well-educated um, people who are second-class citizens um, are going to be in favor of a government that's going to remove class barriers. Of course. So it, it makes perfect sense. And most of them, too, are not practicing. You know, they're, 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 most of them are atheists. Though they were born Jewish, um, they are not practicing Jews, and they don't, like, sort of want to further the Jewish religion. So the idea behind this Dolchstoss myth, this, this stab-in-the-back myth, is that the army was winning in France because the army never got pushed out of France back into Germany. Um, so the army was winning... And that the politicians at home at home sold them out by making peace. Um, and the in the sort of the rationale behind this is that these leftists, um, these these people wanted to destroy Germany like the Bolsheviks did in Russia. Um, it's it's sort of like how people carry on today about how like the Democrats about how like you know Obama wants um, wants to you know destroy the government. Um, they right. they sort of believe the same thing. It's that same argument that. These, these these elements on the left, you know, they want to destroy the government, they want to remove the Kaiser, um, they want to destroy Germany. Um, and then, too, um, because the Treaty of Versailles is so harsh, they, they see that as another way. They, they've, they think that they could have gotten a better deal. Um, second, many of the veterans of the Freikorps, they end up um, to become Nazis. Um, mainly this is through an organization called Freikorps EP. Um, as, as a professor of mine put it, the Freikorps is sort of like the dress rehearsal for the SS and later the Nazis. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So Franz Ritter von Epp, who's the commander of Freikorps Corps Epp, he, he's a bit old and sort of retired by the time the Nazis come into power, so he mostly becomes a military teacher. Um, but people under him, um, they go on to be influential members of the Nazi party. Um, two of them are the Strasser brothers, Gregor and Otto Strasser. Um, if you've heard somebody be called a Strasserite, it means that they're sort of a, a socialist, but they're also like usually racist. You know what's weird? I've heard that term before, and I don't remember yeah, where. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I've heard the same thing. I don't yeah. remember where. The, I don't know the, if it was in history class or if it was at a punk show at a fire uh, at firehouse like when I was like 17. I think I heard it on the internet. Somebody called somebody else a Strasserite. No, no, no. Like, no. I don't know what that is. I was at a like. Waffle House. That's what. No, no, no. I was on the internet. Oh, <laughs> somebody like called somebody else a Strasserite, and I was like, All "Well, right, you cool. are a goon, so you know." It, I am a yeah. goon. It it essentially <laughs> means that they're that they're that they're socialists, but they they think like you know that the Jews are behind it, like that level of socialist thinking. Um, so they're they're early members, but they're eventual um, sort of opponents to Hitler. Um, they're part of the left wing of the Nazi Party that gets liquidated during the Night of Long Knives. Oh my God. Um, I I Gregor's I gotta say, the the night of the long knives is is an awful thing. It's fucking awful, but that is such a a interesting name for something. Like as a as a person who writes as just a hobby, just that's just that phrase, you know, the night of the long knives. It just it's fucking fascinating. I've I've well, read so much it, about it's, it. It it's also because you you have a it's, it's involved with a political movement that cares about style over substance. Absolutely, absolutely. That's a really because, good point. I didn't never thought of it be, that way, but but because but really, because national because yeah. national socialism is a movement essentially founded by arts majors, <laughs> whereas communism is a movement that's essentially founded by divinities majors. So what you're saying is, <laughs> what you're saying is. That the kids who went to art school, like like me, <laughs> should not have their rights taken away by a bunch of fucking assholes like yourselves. Exactly. <laughs> um, other other Nazis that fare better, for instance, like Hans Frank. Um, Hans Frank was the head of the occupation government of Poland. Um, he was in uh, the Freikorps App unit. Um, Edward um, Deitel who was there a detail? Um, he was a detail. I have a detail in my family tree. He, he Isn't there a, a Bo Deedle that's like a mayor somewhere or some, something? Nah, he's a musician. Bo Deedle's a musician? Yeah. Who's but, the Deedle I'm thinking of that was in um, uh, some sort of a New York? He was running for mayor of New York. Was that that's him? That's Bo Deedle. That, that's, that's the guy who's the, the mayor, the New York City police detective. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, I was wrong. I was thinking of Bo Diddley. No, not Bo Diddley. <laughs> You fucking asshole! Not Bo Diddley. He was a mayoral candidate in New York, and he was just a fucking. First of all, Bo Diddley was black. Second of all, Bo Diddley's an asshole. But Edward Diddley is also an asshole because it's got to be the name. Well, he was he was an incredibly devout Nazi, even extreme by their own standards. Just say he was an incredibly devout asshole. He was he was a general and he was sort of their liaison with the Finnish during the war. Like he he was involved Which may not exist, by the way. He was involved in the what? 
the Finland? <laughs> Did you see me? I oh, posted that stupid fucking Finnish meme. Oh, yeah, the Finnish don't exist. <laughs> yeah, I posted that on our uh, Facebook page, that the Finnish don't exist. So, <laughs> Deedle Lord. was involved in, like, the invasion of Norway, and he's also, like, sort of their liaison to the Finnish. Like, he was sort of called the Snow Fox, was sort of the nickname he was given. Um he, God damn, style at, over substance. Mm. At, at one point, he circulated an order that called Norwegian and Finnish women racial floatsome. Wow. Racial flotsam. And, wow. and eventually, they had to tell him to rescind it. Like, he, he initially refused, and then they, I, I believe it was Himmler, they, they had to get Himmler to sort of talk him down on that one, that it was bad for the war effort. For them to um, for them to How call their allies. How are you when Heinrich Himmler has to talk you down? Oh my and, and I might add that these are that these are quote unquote Aryan peoples as well. So yeah. when he considers the the Norwegians and the uh, the Finns not up to the standards. That's and don't crazy. Norwegians like constantly get voted very high on like the most attractive people scale? Yeah, they're fucking exactly. They're all six foot fucking beautiful Amazons. And chiseled statues of David, blonde-haired, just goddesses that walk around. Well, let's let's back up. They're not all that way, but there yeah. is a predominance of that. Let absolutely. me just generalize. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> sure. Like I'm, I'm saying, like it, we we do that too much. Like the be- the beautiful women in Norway are absolutely, you know. Well, I would. I'd say that they probably have a larger appeal. Like overall. All I'm saying maybe? is, I switched my Tinder gold to swipe in Norway, and I did not come across one uggo. Well, if you want a if you want a tall Amazon woman, the Netherlands is the place because the Dutch are the tallest people in the world. <laughs> is it the Dutch for real? No joke. The Dutch are the Dutch are per capita the tallest people in the world. I don't remember. Really, yeah. the Dutch? I don't remember feeling like a like a. You're six two, right? Six three. I'm six two. When we went over to Amsterdam, I feel like they were all pretty much the same size. Yeah. When we went to Amazon, I don't feel like it was very... Or we, Amazon. When we went to Amsterdam uh, a couple <laughs> years ago, I don't feel like it was weird. Like, I don't feel like there were many people my same height. Hmm. hmm. It could be, I could be totally wrong and just mismembering it because obviously we went to Amsterdam, I was higher than giraffe nuts, so... And um, uh, uh, two other ones that you've probably heard of that were involved in this group were Rudolf Hess was a member and... Um, and Ernst Rom was a member. Rom was the founder of the SA. Um, he, oh, he was yeah. sort of the yep, leader yep, yep. of the, the Nazi left, um, and he was he was viewed as Hitler as his viewed by Hitler as his main opponent. Um, he was also um, gay. Like when people talk about um, that, like the early Nazis being involved in weird stuff like orgies and stuff, a lot of that was like Ernst Rom. And then finally. Um, because this, these revolutions happen, and the Freikorps Corps just like murdering all these leftists and communists, um, it, it sort of wipes out the leadership of these um, these groups in sort of opposition to the government. Um, the the deaths of Liebnik and, and Luxembourg um, sort of deprive them of some of their best leaders and thinkers. Um, it eventually leaves this guy named Ernst Thalmann um, as the leader. Um, he's the leader of the Communist Party from 1922 until his death in 1944. Um, he, throughout most of his career where he's not in Dachau, um, opposes cooperating with the, the Social Democrats. I feel like you feel like you might have glazed over that there. <laughs> throughout most of his career, when he's not in Dachau. Yeah, well, he, of all well, the places he is, to be. 
He is. He, well, you know, I had a good life, but for the most part, I was in Dachau. Yeah, he, listen, I, for I half had his, a good job. I was in Auschwitz. Well, for half, <laughs> in, until the Nazis come to power, he is the leader of the Communist Party. Ernst Rom. Yes. Uh, no, Ernst Thalman. Ernst Thalman. Okay, Ernst okay, Rom okay, is bad. the head of the SA. Got it, got it. But Thalman is sort of a Stalinist stooge. He is, um, he's a Marxist, Leninist, Stalinist. He, he's very much moving in with what Moscow wants, and because of that, he opposes cooperating with any of these groups. Um, and then, two, um, because he's opposing them, um, the, the sort of opposition that could build against the Nazis um, is, is sort of um, scattered all over the place. Because if you look at the last free election in Germany, which was the November 32nd um, election, which is where Hitler becomes chancellor. I'm sorry, November 32nd? When did, the, did we just start adding days of the calendar? The, no, the November 1932nd election. 1932. Okay, I was like, what the fuck? Um, okay, sorry. The, the Nazis had 33% of the seats, but the Social Democratic Party and the Communist Party together had th- 37% of the seats. So if they had worked together with the other smaller um, socialist and communist parties in Germany... Um, they could have, you know, they could have defeated um, the Nazis. So, okay. All right, so ke- just keep going. And a lot of a lot of this exists, you know, too, due, due to that bad blood, that it eventually comes out that the Socialist Party, the Socialist Democratic Party, had sort of allied themselves with the, the Frey Corps. That they had that they had sort of authorized these groups in secret, and that they were working with them, so it sort of causes this bad blood. So essentially, all the things that happened during this period causes this wave of alienation between all the political parties in Germany, um, all the big ones that sort of prevent them from working together to to stop the Nazis. Well, I think that um, when you review, when you look into it, though, like it's not like the circumstances were such that it was impossible to stop the Nazis. It's that the circumstances were such that the Nazis took it... They were the ones that took advantage in the right way and the of the sca- Yeah, the scales were tipped in their favor. They they, they saw... They were, they were tipped in anyone's favor who was willing to step in, take advantage of game theory, well, and just take. Yeah, that basically. country was in shambles, too, so they're taking advantage of that. Like, hey, listen, what, your life's yeah. what happens, fucked up. We have an answer. Well, what happens is that sort of on the eve of this election there's a the the germans like the german intelligence agency um releases this report um the sort of secret report that says that if there was some major disturbance in germany because remember the the treaty of versailles has shrunk the german army um so they can't really they they're not as big as they used to be they're not as well armed and this report essentially comes out saying that if there's a major um sort of disturbance with both the Nazis and the Communist Party, that the military wouldn't be able to do anything, that they wouldn't be able to, to put down this insurrection or, or bring order back. Um, so they feel it's just not big enough. They don't have the power. So they feel at that point the best path to go is that um, they have to choose the devil they know, and the theory is is that the Nazis are going to sort of preserve things, and they also believe at this time that they can control Hitler. Because also, too, all the business leaders of Germany essentially support this, all the big business leaders. 
If you believe that Nazis were socialist, you're also the kind of person that will believe that North Korea is democratic. Right. Because Nazi is also kind of a slur against the national socialists. Right, um, absolutely. Because even, even during their time, it was like, it was sort of a shorthand to derisively refer to them. See, that's interesting, because that's not, if it was taught, I wasn't paying attention, and granted, I have an awful attention span, but... Uh, I didn't know that. Then the the word itself was a slur in its time. Except for the fact that you had Nazis actively holding rallies and selling out Madison Square Garden here in the United States. So yeah. many people don't even which know that. Crazy. Which is crazy. It's, it's my so mind crazy. When I'm like, yeah. no, like Nazis were selling out Madison Square Garden and there were Americans that were going there and cheering the shit on. I like, feel like that's one of those cultural touchstones too where you that it's certain people just wake them up yeah and like, like i said I, i'm not talking i'm not talking about being woke or anything i'm no, just saying you know, i don't want to go down that woke? line yeah yeah i didn't even realize i'm saying that people read that and be like really i'm Either selling that. my mustang well you're gonna have two different uh sides of that coin you're gonna have people who are gonna be like really what the fuck and then you're gonna have other people who are gonna be like see see it's american see? culture see see being a nazi's american culture <laughs> nutrisystem Oh my god, it works. <laughs> you know your it works because it's the name of the product. It works. She'll thank me too. <laughs> and your wife, she'll thank us too. Oh, that fucking... Let's do a whole fucking thing on that. Uh, what is that, Frank Thomas? Like, he hawks it. Um, I can't think of what the name of it is, but I can I can see it. I just can't think of what the name of it is. That shitty testosterone yeah. supplement. It's not extends. I keep thinking it's extends. It's not fucking extends. Ah, I don't. I can't remember. Uh, it's like it's it's something. Nugenics. That's what it is. Eugenic. What? No, no, <laughs> no not eugenics. <laughs> not eugenics. Nugenics, oh, bro. All right. Are, what are you bro, nugenics. It's gonna like boost a, your test. You eugenics to, you with an to, X at the end. I think that would kill people. The word eugenics with nugenics. You're trying to church it up. Look, I, I'm just trying to get the message out there. Okay, not everyone's gonna make it. All right. I think and on, they should just die now I think, and just I think let's on get the it note of, of Steve, you know, actively actively supporting, you know, black pilling. We should <laughs> We should we should call it a wrap, guys. <laughs> <laughs>